Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab podcast. Each week, we want to bring you an insightful interview on a specific topic in board game design to help you design and create games people love. And now, here's your host, Gabe Barrett. What's up, my friends? Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today, we're talking about taking a game from good to great. We're talking about that last 10% of game design, what was really the hardest 10% of the game design. And we're talking to Seth Jaffe from over at Tasty Minstrel Games. Uh, Seth, really appreciate you coming on the show. Welcome. Thanks for having me. So, Seth, you know, just in case people haven't heard of you, give me like the, the brief synopsis. Like, what's your bio? How'd you get into game design? What games have you worked on? That kind of thing. So, about 13 years ago or so, all my friends uh, quit playing Magic or moved away, and I needed something to fill the, the creative hole that was left by not being able to build decks anymore. And I stumbled across the Board Game Designers Forum, and it turns out that, uh, to me, game design felt a lot like building decks in Magic, and it kind of filled that hole. Um, and so I've been doing that um, ever since, and I was tooling around with it, and I eventually had some game designs. And my friend Michael uh, decided to become a publisher, and he published my first game, Terra Prime, in uh, 2009, along with Homesetters, when he founded Tasty Minstrel Games. And so he's been uh, working on that ever since, and I've been helping him out ever since. And then nowadays, you probably already have heard of TMG and, and how, how much we've grown. So I've uh, basically been helping Mike ever since the beginning of that. Uh, and now I'm a full-fledged employee and I'm a developer and uh, help find and discover games and develop them and, and usher them through the, the production process over at TMG. Yeah, so what are some of the games you've developed that you've worked on? I have worked on most of, especially the early TMG games, such as uh, Belfort and Captains of Industry and Kings of Air and Steam, Ground Floor. Those are ones that I had heavy heavy hand in uh, Development's an interesting thing. Sometimes it's a couple tweaks here and there, and sometimes it's practically a co-design effort. So those those games had some heavy development, and I've had some like a lighter hand in some of the more recent games like uh, Scoville and Harvest and things like that that I haven't done as much on. So I've done a, um, anywhere from a little development to a lot of development on almost all of the uh, the TMG titles, at least the, the new releases. Uh, the imports, of course, I've not done much with, so... Yeah, and that's one of the main reasons I wanted to talk to you about this topic because you've had a hand in working on some really great games. I mean, those are some games you just mentioned. Some of them are good, and some I consider to be really great games. And so really excited to kind of hear your process or things you've learned uh, in taking games, either ones you've created or ones you've just uh, developed, and from that good place to a great place. But let's let's start by defining what is good. Like, what is a good game? Uh, just a good definition of that. Uh as opposed to great yeah. or um, that's a really hard thing to define. And I think it's actually um, kind of been a hot topic in some of the circles I've been talking in uh, more from the point of view of what's what, when is a game ready to be pitched to publishers? When is it finished uh, versus pitching an idea and a main mechanism uh, and, and hoping for somebody to be interested enough to, finish it for you kind of thing right. uh so a game i think so from the point of view of, of when a game is pitch ready I, i've always said that i feel like a game is ready when uh when you're playing it and and you're playing it with play testers and you're getting comments and the comments are 
might make the game different, but not necessarily better. Or when you play it a bunch of times and, and you're not really getting any more uh, comments that, that, address, that changes that need to be addressed, then you're probably getting close to done, um, ready ready to, to pitch it. And I've always told people when you're pitching a game to a publisher, you should be happy with it. If, if they were to take it and publish it as is, you know, with some pretty art, you, game-wise, you should be happy if it was on the shelf as is. Yeah. If you're not happy, happy with it as is, like if you expect the, the publisher to do any sort of development, then I feel like it's not done and ready to be pitched yet. So if you're happy with it as is, then it's time to pitch. But at the same time, most publishers will want to make some sort of tweaks or changes for their specific market or their specific audience. Uh, and so... I tell people, don't be upset if they do want to make some changes, but if they don't, you should be happy as is or it's not done yet. So um, so I think that a game being done is not the same as a game being good because good is sort of like uh, qualitative. Yeah, it's subjective. And, and, and subjective. Um, so when a game is good, well, that's going to be – for me, a game is good when it's uh, – when I play it and I want to play it again. When I when – I, you know, when I uh, – see some really interesting decisions and I could see what I could do, what I could have done better when I, after I finished, I could, I could, I have this, uh, an idea of what I might like to try next time. Uh, if a game, if I play a game and I finish it and I don't think I have any, if I can't think of anything I do differently, or if I, um, can't tell why I lost or why I won, then maybe it's not as interesting to me to play it again. Um, and, and for me, that's not as, as, as good a game. Yeah. Uh, so, um, I think, uh, you know, with all the games coming out, it's hard to find ones that have, that you play enough to really find out if they're good, maybe. Mm. Um, so nowadays you really have to have something that really grabs people's attention right away. Um, but to me, a good game will not, not only grab my attention right away, but will, will leave me antsy to play again. Gotcha. And so, you know, kind of in that same line of reasoning, and I realize it's subjective, but that's why I'm asking you, Seth. I want to know. I want to know your opinion. What do you think is a great game? Like, what's that next level? Uh, the next level. Yeah. Is... Like, what makes a game great? Well, um, I hadn't really dis- differentiated that in my thoughts, but I guess the next level up would be in addition to having uh, something that grabs you, grabs your attention, and something that leaves you wanting to play again. Uh, a great game would, in addition to that, basically cut out everything else and get right to the point. And um, there are some games out there that are really good, but they have a lot of kind of extra cruff uh, hanging around, extra mechanisms that don't need to be there, yeah. or just extra fiddliness or extra hoops to jump through to get to that good stuff. Mm-hmm. And I feel like a, a great game would be one that grabs my attention uh, gives me the interesting decisions and the and the agonizing choices, leaves me wanting to play again because I can see where I could have done better or, or another thing to try, but doesn't force me to do extra work in order to get there. Yeah. No, I think that's a really good way to put it because you're talking about refinement. You're talking about cutting on things until it's actually like all the way the experience that you're wanting to create and without any of the extra fiddliness or any of the extra stuff going on. I think that's a really good good way to put it. And so – you know, as we kind of talk about this, what what do you think is the process of going from good to great? I was talking to Rob Davio a few weeks ago, and, and he said, he, he was talking to Matt Leacock about Pandemic Legacy, and he says, I feel like at one point, he says, I feel like we're about 80% done. 
And Matt said, yeah, you know, now it's just the other 80% to go, you know? And so it's that kind of mentality. So what's the process of going from good to great in your mind or in the games you work on? Um, well, and that, that's the thing. The, the last yeah, 10 or 20% takes as long as the first 80 or 90%. That's, that's what people say. Once you've got to a point where a game is good, I guess it's just a, for me, it's often just a, a lot of trial and error, really. You play it and, and you see if it, you know, feels like there's extra stuff. If you get comments, uh, and I don't mean play it once. I mean play with a bunch with a bunch of different groups and uh, observe and see like where are people concentrating on on the wrong thing, or where are people doing extra work, or where does it? Where do I feel like I'm wasting my time thinking about something that's not really important in this game? And um, if you identify those things, then you can kind of uh, work on on fixing them. So I think I think identifying what's important and what's not is probably the the main key there. Yeah, that's a great point. I, f- I feel like that's as a designer, sometimes I don't sit back and think, what am I trying to accomplish? Like I don't. It's almost like you know, if you're writing a book, you kind of have an idea where you're going by the end. Like you know, what I mean? like you have this story, this plot. You're trying to get to this certain ending, this certain experience. But sometimes when I create games, and I feel like a lot of people are in the same boat. You create a game because, hey, I want to play this game. I want it to be fun. I want this theme without stepping back to go, okay, what is the bigger picture experience I'm trying to create? And I feel like the experience is really where that last 10% comes in. I'm really achieving what the game is trying to accomplish. What do you think about that? Well, um, I think I agree. The danger is that when you play the game and people enjoy it, it's really easy to say, okay, that's fine. Everyone's enjoyed it. That's great. The I think what really... Um, what I like to look at is not just is it good enough, but could it be better? Like there, if, if you play a game with a group and they all have a great time, everyone has a great time, it's really easy to say, okay, job done. This game was a hit. But that doesn't mean it couldn't be better. And I don't know, maybe to some extent I'm a little bit of a perfectionist, but maybe that's how you uh, take a, a game from good to great is to try to be a perfectionist and try to really say, look, even though people liked it, could it be better still? And would they like it just as much and it would take 20 minutes less if we, you know, um, got rid of this extra bookkeeping we had to do every round, you know, or something like that. Um, Just looking at whether or not people had fun playing a game, it tells you something, but I don't think it tells you the whole picture about the quality of the game. Um, That, and I could back that up too by... Uh, you've probably had an opportunity to play a game with a group of really good friends and maybe you've been drinking a little or maybe you just, you know, haven't seen each other in a while and, and you're having a, a great time playing some game that's objectionably probably wouldn't be one of the better games in the world. Like you could play some, uh, I, I don't know, I don't want to call out a Yeah, we don't have to say the name, but yeah, good, I know what But saying. like you could play, you know, Monopoly or something. You could, yeah. you know, you could play uh, some game that is probably not in anyone's top of their list and have a great time because of the people. So when you have, when you have a play test and everyone has a good time, that's well, it's great, but you got to make sure that um, there, there are more factors that there are more things that make people like a game than just how good the game is. And so for me stopping just cause people, you know, okay, we got to the point where people enjoyed it. That's not, not far enough for me. I want to, I want to make sure that they're enjoying it and, and they'll enjoy it next time too. And every you know, because all the parts that are, take away from that enjoyment are, are just kind of out of there. Yeah, that's a good point. As far as context, context matters 
in in gaming. And so if the context is really great and you're having a lot of fun, the odds are the the game, whether it's great or not, people are going to enjoy it. And so I think that's a really good point in playtesting to understand the context of what's what's going on. I, th- I think there's a lot to learn in that. In, in your opinion, is it possible to be truly objective in this in this chase of greatness or chase of you know going from good to great? Like, can I as a designer be objective on my own game and know that it's good or not or it's great or not? You know, Walter Payton. I just love this quote. He said, "You know, when you're good." you tell everybody. And when you're great, they tell you, you know? And so <laughs> is it kind of the same thing where, where you can't really say of your own game, Oh, this is great because it's just not possibly objective. Or is there a way to actually see it with those, those eyes? Well, I like that quote and I'm not, I'm not sure anyone can really be objective uh, completely. So probably the answer is no, you can't be objective, but you, the, but the better you can approximate that, the better you can try, try to see the game from, you know, uh, an objective point of view or somebody else's eyes, the maybe easier it'll be to, to determine, you know, what's good and what's bad. You know, they, they'd say things like kill your darlings or, or don't get too attached. A lot of times you'll have a game or a mechanism that it just, you were so excited in that one thing. And maybe it was the, the, the main idea that started you with the game design in the first place. And it's just not working out in the end. If you keep it just cause you were attached to it, you might be doing a disservice to the game. So it, Looking at it objectively, you might see that more clearly. And I, so I think trying to be objective is, is the way that you go about this, but I'm not sure anyone can really truly be objective. Sometimes letting a design sit for a long period of time and then coming back to it lets you look at it with kind of fresh eyes and, and helps you be more objective. Um, sometimes I'll pick up an older design and I'll look at it as if it was someone else's design and now I'm the developer. And that way I can sometimes get some progress made on something that if I had just kept working on it, from a designer's point of view, I might, I might've stalled out because I wasn't being objective enough. Yeah, that's a really good point. It's so easy to get too close to a game design and not see the problems or not see a way to fix them. Any advice on how long maybe to wait, you know, cause you don't want to wait too long. Maybe you'll forget too much or, or, in, or do you have a system of remembering kind of like where you are in this process, what problems you're having, any kind of advice on, on walking away from a game and coming back? Uh, I don't have a great system for it. Um, what I do have is, uh, and this is something a lot of designers have, is a whole lot of projects going on at different stages. And so what I'll, when I leave a game sit for a while, it's probably not on purpose. It's probably because I, I started thinking about something else or because you know life happened and I had to go to work or something. Um, but you, know, you don't want to leave it sit too long um, or you have the danger of not remembering where you were at and what, what you, you know, most recently, what progress you've made. So what I recommend for that is to take good notes, playtest notes or you know, write-ups. What I'll often do for myself is uh, after a good playtest, uh, I will, well, hopefully I'll take some notes during the playtest and write some data down, but I will go and into my design blog, which I post in erratically and maybe four people read, and I will post a big sort of playtest report Um in part so people can read it, but mostly so I can go back and read it later and see uh, what I had been thinking. And ideally, if I had some ideas to change the prototype or to make tweaks, ideally I'll make those tweaks right away so that if I do let the game sit for a while, when I pick it back up, it'll be up to date. One of the worst things is picking up a game that's been sitting around and you hadn't thought about for a year or two and uh, knowing that you had changes to make but didn't know what, not remembering what they were and 
uh, not being able to figure it out anymore. And then it feels like you have to redo work. You have to refigure out what happened. Um, uh, you know, what you, what you've already done and what you've already figured out. And that's, to me, that's one of the worst things. I have a real hard time redoing something I've already done once. Yeah, that's a great point. I don't know if you can hear the rain now. The Honduran rain has has come again. So I don't know if that's coming through on the other side. But, you know, I think it's Absolutely. a good good point as far as writing things down. Because one, you know, it's been proven when you write something down, you're more likely to remember it. So even just writing it down helps you remember long term anyway. You know, and, what, and what we were talking about on the blog, on the uh, the show a couple weeks ago with Chris Rollins, creating content like you do with your blog. And I, and I'm, I read your blog and I, I post links to it whenever you update and it's something I think is really cool. Uh, but when you do that, you're creating content for other people that they can look and see your process and maybe see some things and maybe that helps them. But then maybe they can also give you an idea and they go, oh, have you tried this or have you played this game? It has a similar mechanism. Maybe it'd give you an idea, something like that. So I feel like in, in creating that content and putting it out there for other people to see or even just for yourself, it really goes a long way in designing a game and making it better. I agree. And I think... Um I've had some people tell me that they don't like the idea of of being so I don't know public with the ideas of a, an unfinished game. Uh, one person in particular was very adamant that that uh, that kind of thing can't be kept under wraps because if you know IP reasons basically. Um, but I don't subscribe to that at all. In fact, maybe the opposite. If I have if I post about all my development on a game on my blog, which is in public and has a date on it. Um, and then somebody else comes out with a game that's a clear copy of my game. I think I'm better off that I could point at the mm. blog posts yep. um, than I am if I if I didn't post anything. Um, but I don't really worry about that happening anyway because, frankly, ideas are a dime a dozen. Everyone's got ideas. The hard part is is going through the effort of of making a game and iterating on on the design. And any designer who wants to uh, steal an idea and do all that work they'd probably be better off or happier doing all that work on their own idea. Right. So I don't really worry too much about someone stealing my ideas. Um, so that's not really a concern. And when you do, like you said, you write something down, not only does it help you remember it, but I feel like um, when I used to write out my ideas in the board game designers forum chat rooms, it wasn't even necessarily for, to get someone's response, just writing it out as, uh, got me thinking about it and, and sometimes answered some questions I, I might've been, having in my mind anyway. Yep. Um, so doing that on my blog, you know, it's, it's great. I love when people comment. Um, it doesn't happen as often as, as I would like, but, uh, it's great whenever it happens. And occasionally it really does help. Like you said, give me an idea or, or, uh, some direction to, to go in or look in, uh, on a design. Um, but yeah, I, I think that is, well, it's definitely key if you're going to, if you're not going to, I like to stay up to date on everything. Uh, with rules documents and with notes so that anytime I, – because I know it will happen. I know I'm going to not – at any given time, I might not pick a game back up for another you know, some number of months or even years. And so I don't want to be in a position where I come back to a game and have to refigure out where I was. Right. Uh, so staying up to date is, is key on that. Yeah, definitely. So I'm going to go kind of step back. Something you said a moment ago was the phrase good enough. And so let's talk for a moment about when when is good enough good enough? Like at what point, because I mean, I've talked to some designers, they go, well, the deadline told me when my game was good enough. Like I had to have the game to the publisher by this date, so everything, you know, that, that is what it is. But if you don't have a deadline, you're not really working against that. 
how do you kind of know, all right, maybe this game's not great, but I'm to a point where this is as good as I can make it. How do you, how do you know when good enough's good enough? Well, and that's a, that's a good question. And, and frankly, like any creative endeavor, um, a game is never really finished. Right. Well, uh, you know, a designer could tinker with a game forever, yeah, literally. Yep. And uh, so at some point, you know, at some point you do have to decide uh, it's good enough. So defining what, what and you know, what at what point something is good enough is, is kind of part of the job, I guess. And uh, as you said, some people have a deadline that help them forcibly decide, you know, okay, it's got to be good enough by now because that was the deadline. Right. Um, absent the deadline, um, that's where you got to, uh, use your judgment. And, and like I said, uh, I like to do a lot of play tests. And when I, when I feel like the game is being enjoyed by players and people aren't coming up with things that should be different, um, especially not, uh, things that could be better. Um, occasionally there'll be a comment like this should be different, but it's not, if I can't, if I don't think it's better, if I, if all the comments are just different but not better yeah. um, consistently and people are consistently enjoying it, then at some point I have to figure out, okay, maybe this is good enough. Um, I always like to say that every designer could use a developer and um, that includes me on the downside. I, I haven't really, I, I've only got a couple of games out there and I haven't had the uh, um, benefit of another person to, as a developer on my games. So I've maybe lucked out so far uh, in that I've, Eminence domain's gone over pretty well, and and that was you know just me from the I was both the designer and the developer basically, um, and I think Terra Prime was pretty good too, although I don't think anyone's played it because it was out of print immediately and <laughs> yeah. and had some production issues. Um, but the uh, ability to develop your own game is is tricky, and I'm sure like, I'm pretty happy with Eminence domain, but I'm sure it could be even better if if an outside developer had been around. I just didn't, you know, didn't have one. Um, I I do think that game, like, is I, I'll stand behind that game. I think it, it, I managed to do a good enough job. And when I do have to work on a game, and I don't have the benefit of an outside developer. One of the things that does help me is is uh, setting it aside for a little bit, coming back to it, and pretending it was someone else's game that I'm looking at with the developer's eyes. That does kind of help me sort of circumvent that issue um, a little bit. Yeah, it's a great point. And now, in your experience, do do most publishers have people that are developers on their staff to kind of help with this process? Uh, I suspect that most publishers, especially most small publishers, don't have developers on staff. If anything, they'll do it themselves. Like, uh, I know that um, Crash Games, Patrick Nickel, he would occasionally do some development on his games himself. I think I've heard that... Um, what games? Uh, some of these other small publishers, you know, they'll they'll put some work into it themselves, but they don't have like a dedicated developer. They're just the guy. Many of these companies are just a one man operation anyway, right. and they will um, do whatever development work they're going to do, and then they'll go be the publisher. Um, but there are a few companies that employ a developer. Uh, I know, was it um, Rio Grande Games was using an outside developer, and that was the. Uh, in 2008 for Dominion, that was the first time I ever heard of an outside developer, actually. And um, I think that's kind of growing. And we're finding – I'm hearing about more people uh, today that, that do development uh, either for a company. Like I think Daryl Andrews got hired for to be a developer for IDW. And I think um, uh, 
J.R. Honeycutt, I think, does development for uh, Artana Games. Yep. So the, there are people that do development for companies, but I think there are some uh, designers or developers as well that are kind of freelancing and you know offering development services either to a publisher as an outside developer or directly to designers who want some help with their games, which I think is an interesting idea. I've been told many times that I should do that. Um, turns out I, I've got plenty of stuff to work on and, I, and I've got two jobs already. So I didn't, I haven't um, looked into that myself, but um, I think that's an uh, interesting and new sort of area that people are starting to, uh, we're starting to see some development in. Uh, <laughs> Pun intended. Um, yeah, and, so. and if we're using Dominion as the litmus test, okay, that game did pretty well. That game, you know, changed an industry. And so I feel like if that's what we're looking at as far as what development can do for your game, it's pretty important. Now, do you have any uh, advice on people in, in finding a developer? Like, you know, if, if I want to get somebody to develop my game, where would I go to find somebody to do that? Well, um, as I said, nowadays it might be a little easier than before. Before the answer was, you know, go to design meetups and find another designer basically that, or, or a, a play tester that's really into it that wants to help you. Um, but now, uh, just today I saw a post on Facebook from, uh, J.R. Honeycutt. I guess he's got a little, uh, a group. Um, I want to say waitress games, I think he called it. And, uh, it, it, here it is right here. Waitress games has room to take a contract development project yeah, if you want a game, if you've got a game that you want them to work on, then you should let them know. Yeah. And so apparently, the, uh, I know that Senfun Lim also was was doing this at one point. I don't know if he still is, um, but there are designers or developers rather that are willing to, uh, you know, for a price, work on your game for you. Um, and so you can start looking for those. And I don't know if there's a good place like a list of them. <laughs> the ones I know of would be Jr. and Sen. Yeah. Um, but I'm sure if you post. Uh, the place to post would probably be Twitter and, and or Facebook in the game design circles. Uh, the amateur game design community on Twitter is, is pretty robust and, and, and growing and, and everyone's sort of connected. So if you were to get in on – if you have anyone if you, that you follow that's that's on that circle and you, you were able to uh, – even if they weren't a developer, they could probably point you in the right direction and uh, – I don't know how many um, people are, are going to be interested in investing money into a developer to develop, you know, an amateur designer and investing in a developer to help them make their game better in order to pitch it. I don't know if that's a thing that people are interested in doing or not, but you never know. Yeah. Well, at least, you know, they have the information out there. So if, if you are in that boat and you're really thinking about doing it, well, at least you can find that information. And yeah, I think uh, posting in the Facebook guilds and, and on Twitter, that's, Probably, but just say, hey, I need a developer. Anyone interested? And <laughs> just see what comes comes your way. I think it's a good way to do it. So let's let's talk about that last ten percent. You know, going from good to great. That last ten percent. That last five percent. What is it about that per- that little last part that's that's so difficult? Like why? It's it seems like one of those things. Like the closer you get to it, the more it recedes. Like the, you know, like as you're about to lay your hands on it, it runs farther away. And so, what is it about that last ten percent that that makes it so difficult to to accomplish? Well, what I think it is is it's um, it's level of detail, right? So you can have, let's say you're having a problem with your game, um, and it's like a, a a big general problem, and you can make like a sweeping change that might fix the problem most of the time, and that was relatively easy. 
But now you're like, okay, well, now it still comes up sometimes or it's still a little bit of a problem. And then you zoom in and now you've got to make another um, change. And like every time you make a change or every time you make a fix or figure out what's how to fix it, it might fix it. If it doesn't fix 100% of, of the time or 100% fix it, then you've got to do it again. So as you keep – it's like um, – I don't know. It's like um, the Mandelbrot thing uh, um, where you, every every time you – if you zoom in, you got the same problem again. And then you zoom in, you got the same problem again. So while you can make a big sweeping change at the beginning that fixes a large chunk of your problem, once you zoom in and look at the um, more fine details, you find that you've got – you know, the same problem on a smaller scale or a different problem now that's um, been introduced. And so really stamping out all of those problems, it's kind of like um, if you've got a, a, a bubble under a piece of tape or something like that, you, you, the more you try to push it around to try to flatten it out, it just kind of moves around. Yeah. Um, so, and the, it uh, depends a little bit, I think on the type of game that you're doing. I tend to work on, and I tend to like to play sort of uh, Euro style strategy games so one of the things that's sort of a finishing touch that I've been putting on some of our our, our games of that type are uh, like player powers. So you might have a game and you start – assume nobody has any player powers and you make the game and the game works. Everything's great. And now that la- – you know, one thing that a lot of our audience really likes is having a unique character uh, with a special player power. And balancing – designing and, and balancing you know, 8 to 12 different player powers – so that they're all good and fun and fair, um, you know, that, that takes a lot of work. And that might be what you're talking about is this last 10%. Uh, you know, you might've finished the game and everything's perfect, but if you want player powers, now you've got a lot of work to do to, to figure out 12 different player powers that are, uh, on par with each other and fair. Um, this is uh, exactly what I've been doing for a couple of, uh, games that are coming out soon, a game called harvest that TMG is putting out, it's a worker placement game, and I think there are I think there are tw- uh, about twelve, maybe there's nine, I forget um, characters that uh, the last I don't know several months I guess that I spent on the development was figuring out uh, the power level of these characters and testing them against and and making sure that no one of them is way better than another, making sure they don't break the other rules too badly. I had actually uh, one one of the powers. Uh, revealed a, uh, a problem that existed in some of the other parts of the game that weren't a problem until this power existed. Yeah. And so that, you know, that kind of thing introduces problems back down the line that, that you thought were already fixed. Um, and it takes a long time to test all these iterations and all these combinations. Yeah, that's a great point. And because so often when you change something, it creates edge cases somewhere else that have to be addressed. And so like really honing in and, and figuring out, how to fix all those issues. And I've heard some designers say, I don't even want to play test right now because I'm afraid of the extra work I'm going to have to do. Like I, I really feel good about the game, but I'm afraid that if I play test it, people are going to say, yeah, but this over here is broken and I'm going to have to like dive back into that process. So how do you, how do you stay positive or how would you suggest or give advice to somebody to stay positive during that grind of that last 10 or 5% as they're kind of working through these issues and keep running into walls? How do you stay positive? Um, I, I I don't know to, to to some extent that's the fun part I think, um, and if you can look at it like that's the fun part then maybe it's not so hard to yeah. do, um, and and maybe one way to to think about it as being the fun part is whenever you have a play test and you take some data and you take some notes, um, 
for me, it's it's watching my predictions and seeing if they're right, basically. Where if I if I come up with a I don't know a fix for a problem I'm having, or if I come up with an ability and I think about how what it should be worth and how it should be balanced, and I get that down and I try it out and I see whether or not I was right. Um, it's really rewarding when I'm right. <laughs> when I think of something and I check it out and it turns out to be right, that's very rewarding. So I'm always antsy to try whenever I've got something that I, you know, I've thought about it and I um, think that this is how it should be. I'm really antsy to try it to see if I'm right. And when I'm not right, well, that's not as good as when I'm right. However, now it's a chance. That, okay, I'm like, okay, well, it wasn't that wasn't quite right. How can I change it? And then I. I make some adjustment and I think about like why it was wrong or what was wrong with it. Um, and I, now I'm at the point again where I've got another thing I want to try and I'm antsy to see if I'm right. Um, so if you can think about that as being like the fun part or, or, um, uh, exciting, uh, thing to do, then it's not so hard to, uh, get it to the table and, and quote unquote, create that work for yourself. Um, but I guess if you're just chasing your tail and every time you try something, it doesn't work out and you make a change, you try it and it doesn't work out. I could see how that could be frustrating. So um, as a caveat, I might um, – something that comes with experience perhaps is is being able to figure out what exactly will make a change, You know, f- figuring out what's – not just what's wrong but what what's wrong with it. Like what, not just why is this not working but um, what is it about this is not working that that'll you – know, what's this change going to really do? Uh, is it going to fix the problem or is it just going to cause something different to happen that might not be good? Um, and I, uh, when I'm, I, I've taught people how to do things like throw a frisbee before. And what I'll tell them is, um, if you, know, if you can get the thing, the frisbee to go where you want, that's good. If you, if it doesn't go where you want, as long as you know why it didn't go where you want, then you can fix it. Yeah. If you, if you just throw it, you can't aim and you can't figure out why, then you're in trouble. But if you can figure out why it went wrong, then you know what to fix. And so that applies here as well. If, if you have a play test and it didn't go well, if you can figure out why, then you know what to fix. If, if you, so that's what you want to concentrate on is trying to figure out why it's not going the way you want. If you never figure out why, then you're probably just going to chase your tail. And I, I can see how that could be frustrating. Yeah, and I, but I think you bring up a very, very good point. It's all about perspective. It's all about what you choose to think or what you choose to believe. And really, it's about embracing the grind and realizing that that's the grind and, and figuring out all those problems and how to fix them. That's what game design is. I feel like it's so easy to think that game design is just that first 1% where you came up with a fun idea and a theme and a mechanic. Like to think that that's game design, but it's not. That's not game design. That's an idea. And there's a billion of those. And like you said before, there are a dime a dozen and, and they're easy to come by. And so it's about embracing that grind. And something I realized a long time ago that really applies to life and marriage and sports and just kind of everything in general, but it definitely applies to game design as well, is that greatness is not something you achieve. Like you don't accomplish greatness. Greatness is something that you live out daily. And so it's just every day waking up and thinking, okay, today, I'm going to I'm going to chase excellence, I'm going to chase greatness today and and tomorrow I'm do the same thing and the same thing. It's the same thing with a game design, just continue to chase greatness, pursue excellence, and eventually you'll get to a point where like we said before, people will tell you the the game you made is great, but it's about pursuing it day in and and day out even when it's really really difficult and if you got to walk away from the game for a while, then so be it, but come back and just embrace that grind. Yeah, I I guess that's a good way to put it. Like I don't think of it as a grind, I guess. Uh, that's even better. If you can, if you can make the grind in your mind, not a grind, then like that's, I think that's the, the ultimate place to reach. Yeah. And if you have a couple of projects to work on, then 
when you run into trouble with one, like you've got a problem and you can't figure out what's wrong with it, uh, being able to set it aside and work on a different project for a while um, and then come back to it later, maybe maybe you'll have learned something from your other project or maybe you'll have come across a game that, that handles what you're trying to handle. Or maybe just the break from thinking about it will let you look at it again with fresh eyes and have a, a, a better idea of what to try next. So, um, you know, you can always take a break and do something other than game design for a while, but of course... Um, I like to have multiple projects so I can, while I'm taking a break from one game, I can be working on another game. Yeah. And, and like you're saying, figuring out a way to love that process. Like for, when I was playing football, I loved practice. Like a lot of my teammates hated practice. They didn't want to go, this is garbage. We just want to play games. I get it. I loved practice. I love going out every day and just playing football. And so if you can figure out how to make the, the, the practice, so to speak of game design and the play testing and getting the feedback and turn it into new ideas and all that, if you can figure out the parts of that you love, then there is no like getting down or getting frustrated or anything. You're just, you're just practicing. It's just practicing until the game comes, the game literally comes along and then, and then it's hopefully done and, and people really, really enjoy it. Yeah. And I also like to um, play lots of published games to kind of yeah. keep abreast of what's out there and what's been you know done. Cause you never know, like you might play a game and you know, irrespective of if you like the game or not, you might see something that, relates somehow to something problem you were having in your game right and maybe it'll help you solve it um so i like to you know play a lot of games um play a lot of other people's games play a lot of published games just play a lot yeah that that cannot i mean that's just something that keeps coming up with designers is play and play and play games and, and learn as much as you can so what what kind of tips or tricks or things have you learned have you learned over the years as you've worked on games developed games that, that really help in that last stage of that, you know, that last 10%, that last process of cutting out the fiddliness, cutting out edge cases, anything you've learned that would kind of help somebody that's just now getting into it. I guess it's the, the only I really say there is, is what we said before the, uh, the, uh, once you've got a game to where you're close to done, maybe revisit your assumptions. Don't, um, Kill your darlings. Make sure you haven't kept something in there just because you liked it in the beginning and it might not apply anymore. You know, um, every once in a while, it's good to sort of look at a design and say, okay, you know, what's this game really about? What's the, um, you know, does everything in this game really support that, or is there something extra that's just sort of along for the ride, or is is a sort of an artifact of an earlier version of the game? Uh, if you can do that, then I think you'll be uh, it's good. If you don't do that, then you run the risk of having some, I don't know, some mechanic or some rule or something that some piece of Chrome that was there. Maybe there was a reason at the time you made it up, or maybe it was something you just really, really liked at the beginning, but maybe it shouldn't really be there anymore. Um, now, cause games change over time. You might start a game. I, I started Terra prime actually my first game. One of the first ideas I had in that game was for this sort of, resource um market where you would pick up and deliver resources and the the amount of money or points you would get would kind of scale with supply and demand kind of thing it was sort of like a power grids resource market with the buying of the resources um but it was uh different resources would have different scales and things like that and i really liked that idea a lot and i really tried to keep it in there and it wasn't until the very very end where everything else in the game was working except for that and there was something wrong with that. And eventually, even though that was the 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 
initial impetus to start this game, I was like, you know what? It's just not right. I luckily decided to cut it out and just replace it with some other demand tile situation um, before I finished that game. But that's an example. Like if I had gotten rid of that sooner, I might have finished the game sooner. It might have been better sooner. Um, but if you keep something in there just because it was there before or just because you started with it, it might not be necessary or, or really appropriate anymore. Um, so I think that's the, the advice is to watch out. Watch out for uh, for your game. Make sure that you've got uh, – every, that everything you're doing is, is, is in the best interest of the game and not you know a, a sort of a selfish or a legacy style – um, and by legacy style, I mean like a something that you've done just because it was already done before. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. Is, is don't feel like you have to be loyal to a certain mechanic or to a certain thing, a certain aspect of your game. You don't have to be loyal. This, this is not like an actual relationship. You can cut things out and, and not feel bad about it. Right. Right. Even if it was the initial thing that started the whole game design, it, you know, the games change. Um, Gil Hova is a friend of mine. He has this really kind of a clever, brutal auction mechanic that he's tried to use in like three different games now. And he started with this mechanic. He builds the game. He ends up cutting that mechanic out. Right. Then he started a second game with that key mechanic. He's done it like three times now. Um, his his recent The Networks started with that mechanic. It's not there anymore. Right. His previous game, Battle Merchants, that came out, started with that mechanic, and it's not there anymore. Um, and it's I guess it's a testament to Gil that he's willing to keep um, cutting that out of his game. Um, but it's also perhaps a testament that he's willing to keep trying to begin with. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but it's, uh, you know, it's the, even if it's the impetus for the game, it doesn't mean it's right for the end product. Yeah. And so often a game just takes on a mind of its own and it, it goes where it wants and you either let it do that or you try to shackle it down into your preconceived notions. And I, I think it's obvious it's about which, which way to go is better. You know, I've heard people say that the games will go where it wants. I don't know if I agree with that. Okay. Um, the, you're the designer the game goes where you want. That's, that's my opinion. And, um, I, I see that the point of the comment though, is that like y- where the game ends up might not be where you intended in the first place. Um, and you should be maybe open to changing, um, changing your mind about where you wanted it to go in the first place. But I don't like to think of it like, um, you know, the game goes where it wants. I, I feel like a designer is in control and, um, I, I would rephrase that as, uh, you know, be flexible with your idea of where you want of what you want this final product to look like. Um, but I feel like it's a little bit dangerous to say, oh, the game goes where it wants, because that's then it's really easy to say, oh, well, you know, I just threw this mechanic in there because people like auctions, so I put auctions yeah. in. You know, like I, I feel like designers should do stuff on purpose. So not to be argumentative with your your comment there, but no, you're good, man. But I, I, I've I've heard that comment a lot, and it's it's not one that I that I think is a is useful. Well, one good thing about it is if, if my game goes where it wants, if it turns out to not be any good, it's the game's fault, not my fault. So it's kind of a, right. a way well, to, you know, protect myself. Another danger, <laughs> another danger for that. Right. Well, cool. Well, Seth, man, really appreciate you coming on the show. You have any kind of like advice or, or final thoughts for people that are, that are really working to take their game from good to great. Um, I would say definitely stick to doing that. Um, especially if you're, well, I mean, there's a couple of kinds of designers, right? There's designers that are looking to pitch their game to publishers. There's designers that are looking to put their game on, I don't know, Kickstarter or self-publish. Um, and there are designers that aren't looking to publish their games at all. Um, and in all, all those cases, I think it's good to, to strive to, um, you know, be, be something of a perfectionist. Try to get your game 
as good as you really can before you uh, try to pitch it, and especially before you put it on Kickstarter. There's yeah. a, a lot of people complain about what the whatever half baked games on Kickstarter or whatever. You don't want that to be you, right? You want um, if you're going to be offering something to the public, um, and by extension, if you're going to be offering it to a publisher to then offer to the public, you want it to be something that you're proud of, and you want it to be something that's complete and as good as you can make it. Um, so I'd say stick with it and, and, you know, be a perfectionist, try to make it as good as you really can. Yeah. Awesome. Well, again, Seth, appreciate you coming on the show. We're about to head over to the bonus round. Seth is going to talk about the benefits of repeated plays of a game. So we, we kind of live in this culture of cult of the new and playing a game one time and being done with it. But, you know, Seth finds there's a lot of value in playing a game multiple times. We're going to talk about that in the bonus round. So, Seth, uh, good luck with everything you got going on over at TMG and uh, have a good one. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Find all sorts of game design resources, bonus material, and chances to win free games at BoardGameDesignLab.com. And until next time, keep designing, keep playtesting, and keep creating great games. Did I mention keep playtesting?